Hi, this is Laura Rosenblum, co-host of The Pulse Podcast. In my final episode of The Pulse before graduation, I interviewed Anmal Madan, chief data scientist at Livongo. Livongo empowers people with chronic conditions to live better and healthier lives, beginning with diabetes and now including hypertension, weight management, diabetes prevention, and behavioral health. Livongo pioneered the category of applied health signals to offer members clinically-based insights that focus on the whole person and make it easier to stay healthy. This is an awesome episode. I really appreciate it. I'm all taking the time and hope you enjoy. Thanks. Anmal is the chief data scientist at Livongo. Um, Anmal, I don't know how many episodes of the Pulse podcast you've listened to previously, but we've started a bit of a tradition where we ask the same first question to each of our guests. And that question is, what did you want to be when you grew up? What did I want to be when I grew up? Um, so when I was a child and I'd watch all of these action and adventure movies, you know, so like the classic James Bond or, or the Matrix or whatever was playing in, in, in my childhood. I never wanted to be the the main star, but I always wanted to be the, um, there's always this like the hacker guy in the movie, right? Who breaks into all the systems and who controls all the networks and all that other, you know, he's always like, there's the guy who's inventing all the cool, uh, I think in James Bond, I think it's it's Q or, or someone like that who's got all the cool gadgets. I always thought that role, that job was far more interesting. <laughs> what about that role? The protagonist <laughs> and, and uh, you know, uh, lead, you know, leading that life. I, I thought like the, yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to be when I grew up is I don't know if there's a general class of character that's called, but the, uh, the guy who sort of breaks into the systems and invents the gadgets and oh, so that'd be a fun job. It's, it's, we, well, the reason we love asking that question is because it's great. My next question for you is going to be to share a little bit more about your career journey. And I love tying together sort of the early ambition to where you eventually end up. So um, with that in mind, the hacker kind of sidekick type role, um, can you talk us through uh, what your career has been like to date? Yeah, so I spent the last, uh, I guess the last two decades at this point, uh, essentially training computers smartphones and other devices to understand us better as humans. Um, and so my PhD work was at the MIT Media Lab, uh, working on using machine learning to understand human behavior. Um, and so I had a, a series of projects in that era, um, starting with using tonal voice uh, and so building mathematical models of tonal voice, so prosody, uh, how fast are we speaking, you know, how stressed out are we, and tying that to different social settings and different different contextual settings. That was some of my early research. Um, I did a fair amount of work in my thesis around uh, using mobile phone sensor data. And so in 2008, uh, I guess I ran the largest uh, mobile sensor data collection effort of its kind in that, in that era, which is uh, a long time ago now, uh, where we instrumented an entire MIT dorm um, with phones for a year. And we collected interaction data, so physical interaction data, location data, communication data, obviously with participants' permission, to try to really understand how things spread, how things diffused in, in our society. So a lot of that was looking at diffusion of ideas, diffusion of mobile apps, diffusion of music, and then diffusion of opinions and, and also uh, certain healthcare uh, use cases. And so it's, it's kind of early, uh, you know, it's sort of an interesting time to go back to that conversation, just given everything that's happening in our world today. Um, so did that, and then coming out of that work, I uh, had some interesting insights where uh, it turns out that when people are, are sick, 
when we're synthetic, our behaviors change and your phone is an incredible sensor of that change in, in real world behavior. It's a new kind of microscope that we didn't have before in our society. And so that led me to start a company called Ginger.io uh, where you know, I founded that, co-founded that company in, in my bedroom and served as the CEO for seven years. Um, the company was primarily focused on applying machine learning to behavioral health. Uh, so stress, anxiety, depression, uh, massive issues in our society. And the focus, again, um, you know, if you if sort of starting with the, the first principles approach um, of the eight or nine things that characterize depression in a clinical setting, uh, at that time, we found that we could measure most of them using our smartphone. So your movement patterns change, your, uh, the time you went to school, the time you went to work changed, the way you interacted with people changed. Um, so I had some tremendous experiences uh, in the realm of entrepreneurship, so raised about $35 million. Uh, ran the company, grew it to a significant number of people, um, and then most recently took on this role as uh, chief, science, chief data scientist here at Livongo. Uh, so I've been in this role for about a year. And so that's a, a great chance for me to uh, have similar experiences, but apply towards the, the whole person, towards uh, a variety of chronic conditions. And so today Livongo has products in diabetes, uh, hypertension, weight management, uh, the DPP and then a uh, small presence of behavioral health that's expanding. And uh, so it's been a great chance to work with um, some incredibly talented people, uh, apply the same general principles of machine learning, uh, AI to healthcare, uh, to innovation that's happening in healthcare. And I, I don't think there's been a better time for that <laughs> than today. Um, and so that's been my trajectory for the last few years. Can you talk a little bit more about what it was like transitioning, you touched on this a bit, but transitioning from a company that was specifically focused on behavioral health to a company, as you said, like Livongo, that's focused more on the whole person. And what was that transition like for you internally and how did your role switch as well? Yeah, so I think the transition for me was along multiple dimensions. Um, so one transition, like you, like you said, was around the uh, condition focus itself, right? So behavioral health, obviously, has grown in the level of awareness uh, we've had around emotional and mental health in the last uh, you know, five or 10 years. But even, even until a few years ago, there still was a lot of stigma. Access continues to be a challenge. Uh, and I think new technologies are now reducing that friction. You know, certainly, uh, certainly you know, we were at the forefront of that in 2017 and 2016. Uh, so I can talk about some examples from that journey that I think were, were pivotal. And, and we see a lot of those examples now reflected across behavioral health in, in our industry. Um, so, so I think that was one axis where it was different. Another axis which was different was uh, the role. Uh, and so going from being, uh, you know, the CEO and admittedly a very product-driven CEO. Uh, so I'm not a, a sales-driven person, but I'm more on the product and technical side of things. And um, to being the, the chief data scientist is, is a, you know, very similar in, in terms of my academic uh, requirements, but it's a bit of a different job description. Um, and then I think the most interesting shift for me, uh, Laura, was around uh, the actual scale and stage of the company. Uh, and so right around the time I joined Bongo, we were getting ready to go public uh, and we were the first uh, digital health IPO and I believe one of the largest healthcare IPOs in, uh, in, in, in the history of, of, of uh, NASDAQ. And uh, so that was a really interesting and exciting time to join the company um, because as the first company sort of leading that transition, we were, we were not just 
uh, you know, doing great work for our members and great work for our clients, we were also validating uh, an entire industry. Uh, and there's been billions, multiple billions of dollars of investment in digital health, in the idea that AI and machine learning can shape this, this new form of, of healthcare. And we were sort of the, at the forefront of that validation. So I think that was really exciting. Um, you know, we, you know, so the scale of the business, so joining a business where, and today we're a public company, so you can see, see our numbers. Um, joining a business at that scale was very different from being in a smaller startup. Uh, and so that was, again, another set of experiences for me that was really compelling. Uh, a part of, you know, what convinced me to make that transition uh, from Luongo's perspective was just the quality of our uh, leadership team was incredible. Uh, and so, you know, Glenn, and who's, who's formerly uh, ran all scripts, has taken multiple companies public. Zane, our CEO, uh, who uh, was the uh, president of uh, Cerner, the largest company in healthcare IT. Uh, Dave, our CTO, who was the CTO of Evernote. Uh, Arnon, our chief people officer, who had that role at Tesla. Um, you know, Jenny, our president, who, who was the chief medical officer at Castlight. You know, uh, Courtney, our chief marketing officer who came from Apple. I mean, just the, the stellar, you know, star cast of people who were the best in all of these different industries coming together and saying, hey, we're going to change how healthcare needs, it works in our country because it has to, because there isn't an option. And the chance to be part of that team and kind of work uh, alongside some of those amazing people for me was a big factor in that decision as well. It's, it's a power lineup that you mentioned. Um, I want to chat at, towards the end of our conversation around um, how you thought about the size of the company that you were joining, the transition from early stage to approaching IPO. But one thing I want to uh, dig in on a little bit is um, how you chatted about your role as the chief data scientist. Now, I think um, you're one of the more technical folks that we've had a conversation with on the Pulse podcast, which is awesome because I think it's an data is an area, data science is an area that is really popular within digital health companies, um, but is a little bit of a black box. Do you mind explaining um, your role specifically and then how Lavongo thinks about data in particular? Yeah, so uh, I'll start with Livongo's vision and then I'll tie that to my responsibilities and role. And so we, Livongo, we uh, consider ourselves to be uh, an applied health signals company. So we, we talk about ourselves in the context of AI-AI, which stands for aggregate, uh, interpret, apply, and iterate. So uh, you know, our vision and what that really means is our vision is to understand our members at a level of richness that is uh, that doesn't really exist anywhere else in healthcare, right? And so getting really, really good at understanding our members allows us to personalize how we support them, allows us to understand what interventions are likely to work for them, what kind of uh, support through coaches, through medications management, through uh, new kinds of sensors, through new kinds of interventions are likely to work for them. And so, and that vision is really important because in uh, chronic condition management, which represents, by the way, the spending chronic condition management, so the top chronic conditions in diabetes, heart disease, uh, and so on, represent a very significant um, you know, component of our healthcare costs as a society, right? So healthcare is 18% of our GDP, but you know, close to 90% of that is related to chronic condition management in one form or another. And there's about 167 million people in the US who have one or more chronic conditions. Right? And so we all know, know people in our, in our friends and our family members. So a huge, huge uh, economic burden. So it's important for us to support these people. And 99.8% you know, of the time, that support is not happening inside the doctor's office. It's happening out in the real world. 
right? And so a person who's living with diabetes or a person living with hypertension, it's about making better decisions every day while they're out in the world. It's, you know, healthier choices to eat, uh, to exercise, to, to sort of power through situations where they may be dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety, like the current climate. And so that's really comes down to understanding a member really well and then personalizing the support that they get. And by tying those two together, we actually, that's where the, um, the clinical outcomes, the net promoter score, so Livongo has industry leading uh, clinical outcomes as well as uh, economic ROI for our clients. We have really high net promoter scores, 65, which is very in, similar to, in the way of you know, Apple and Netflix or other consumer tech companies that you might know of. And so that all comes from a core product experience and a, and a technology experience that's understanding our members better than anybody else does in healthcare today. Like that's our vision, that's what we march towards. So if you think of that role, uh, if you think of that company mission, uh, data science, machine learning, AI play a huge role in driving us forward in that in that area. That's you know a huge driving factor in our growth, and so it it makes my job um, a lot of fun and 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 very interesting because I get to then work on a variety of different problems across a variety of different areas of our business to support that goal, to drive towards that goal. Um, and so today, data science, and uh, as it rolls up to me, we have about six different teams, uh, all working on machine learning, AI, data science, applied to different parts of our business. So teams that are looking at personalization of our product, of our, our, our hardware devices, of the experience on our software devices. We have teams that are looking at applied health signals um, that are thinking about different kinds of sensor data that we can bring in to understand the member better. Uh, we recently announced, for example, partnerships with uh, Dexcom. So Dexcom is a leading CGM vendor, so that allows us to bring in CGM data. We announced a partnership with uh, a leading labs companies, so we can bring in clinical labs data. And so these are different ways of understanding our members better than, 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 than the system is used to doing. We have teams that work really closely with our business operations, our coaching operations, our business forecasting units. Um, and so I had a recent blog post about- I was going to ask about this. <laughs> is, is, you know, if you think of the traditional healthcare model, and, and I'll, I'll sort of segue into, you know, member services or coaching or some of these service components in healthcare, you know, it's very much a, a service model, right? As you, as you think of it as like a, you're seeing a, a, a physical uh, provider or you're seeing a, a coach in, in, some, in some cases. And, you know, instead of waiting for, you know, people who kind of walk in the door, what if you had systems that actually could predict who would need help and when, and flip that completely in the other direction, right? So building predictive systems that know, here's the person who's going to need help, here's what's going to work for them when they have a conversation, and here's what a coach should say or what the mobile app should say in order to get them to change behavior in the way that's going to resonate for them. Um, and by the way, these, these are things that we, we often see and experience in other industries, right? When you go to Google and you type in a search query after a number of search queries, Google is learning your preferences and it knows that, hey, you own this kind of car, or it's, it's building models about you, right? And so we, we take these for granted in other industries and there's a chance to bring that same way of thinking into healthcare. So those are some of the, some of the uh, machine learning, data science, analytics teams that I get to work with across a broad swath of our business. Um, another team I'm very excited to work with is on our marketing uh, side. And so healthcare and, and marketing, I mean, the ability to experiment and, and learn 
how do we talk to different kinds of members, different demographics uh, in our messaging when we when we communicate our retention campaigns or our member value campaigns or enrollment campaigns. I think that's a huge area of experimentation and learning where data has played a very important role in our business. And you've heard probably heard Lee, our CFO, talk about that in our last couple of earnings calls. Um, so it's, it's, it's been an exciting journey for me there. How do you strike that balance between you have so much data on your customers, your members, and you really know them and know what their habits and behaviors are like and know what will prompt them to make the decisions that you want them to make with the messaging and, and not knowing them too well, but, but striking that balance between encouraging them in the right direction uh, without overstepping? Yeah, I think there's, um, so one important component in the balance is, is starting with a member-centric view. So, you know, how does, how do we position, how would I want to use a service? How would I want a product to work with me or marketing to work with me? And that includes obviously, you know, member privacy being at the center of it, right? And so me being able to give permission for my data to be used, obviously in this case to support me as a person, as a, as a potential member, um, and having visibility and transparency into that and being able to trust that this data isn't going to you know, go outside to my employer or to some other group that, that isn't involved in my care delivery, right? So I think it starts foundationally with, I think that privacy perspective is, is paramount. Um, you know, clinical rigor is really important for these applications as well, right? So in, in a lot of, you know, let's just take social media marketing, for example, like you can send a lot of messages in consumer marketing, you can send a lot of messages but in healthcare, it's not just how interesting, you know, did I click on the message or how interesting it was. It also was, was that actually clinically the right thing to do? Was that moving people in the right direction? Did it have efficacy, right? So uh, we've had multiple, so till date, I think we've had about 32 publications and abstracts, um, you know, with our clinical leadership. So Bima, who's our chief medical officer, uh, and I work pretty closely together to make sure anything we're building in data science goes through a clinical uh, lens. It goes for, for, for the validation step and often we build product features and, you know, quarter or two quarters later, we come back and publish about them in conferences. So, um, so I think that is also really important. Um, and then I think once you have those two foundational pieces, then it starts with what's the, what's the goal? What are we trying to achieve, right? And Machine learning systems today are very sophisticated. There's a lot you can do. You know, there's a lot of off-the-shelf tools where you can throw in a bunch of data and just start learning things for you, just start predicting things for you. I think the, the bar to getting started today is, is very low. And so the, the, the focus then becomes what's the business use case? What's the product use case that we really care about, right? And so if the product use case is let's get our members to engage with actions, engage in behaviors that are going to drive the right kind of behavior change, then, and obviously with the right clinical and safety sort of lens, um, then I think it becomes very easy to start personalizing their experience along those dimensions, and then craft measures and metrics that uh, indicate that the systems are kind of working in the right direction, right? And so those measures, you know, if, you, if, you, if I compare what we do to say Netflix, Right. With Netflix, there's an early, uh, you know, when, when they show you content on, on your Netflix app and you kind of click on something that that sort of content recommendation problem, collaborative filtering problem, which is people like you also like X. Right. So we're going to send you X. Um, and so that particular class of modeling problems is very well understood. Right. And so what they optimize for is maybe a thumbs up or a thumbs down, which is do you find this interesting or do you not find this interesting? We gather that data, too. In addition, we also gather data that says, hey, this actually helped you 
three months later show better clinical outcomes. And this was an important component in driving your estimated A1C improvement or your um, other, you know, other clinical improvements that we uh, really care about, right? Depending on the condition, uh, blood pressure improvements. And so, so that's really important as well in the way we design some of these systems. But I think the promise that these systems have, these approaches have in healthcare, overall, I think we're just scratching the surface. Uh, it's been an industry that has been, been uh, that hasn't really taken advantage of these approaches for a very long time. And I think the impact we're seeing, the, the momentum we're seeing around Livongo is, you know, we're one of the few companies that's able to bring this into the real world uh, in a way that people can touch and feel these technologies that didn't exist uh, in the past. Speaking of the real world, um, I would be remiss to talk about Lavongo's data strategy and how they're getting to know their members without thinking about how your platform and business has adapted uh, some of its existing operations to become relevant for COVID. I mean, it's challenging as it stands without a global pandemic to manage uh, members with chronic conditions. Can you talk about how you've needed to adapt and some of the initiatives you're working on uh, with respect to COVID? Yeah, so um, I think the last six weeks have uh, really changed our industry in, in, a, in, in, a, in a big way, uh, potentially in a permanent way, which is, you know, as unfortunate as the pandemic has been for our society, for, our, for the impact it's had on people's lives. I mean, just so sad to see the number of people who've lost their lives or where their, their, you know, their jobs have been affected. Um, it has accelerated the recognition for digital health, for telemedicine, for remote monitoring, uh, and those sets of technologies in our society. And so that's really uh, accelerated the recognition that these technologies, the role that these technologies can play, right? So we've seen that uh, obviously in the commercial sector with our client base, we're seeing that in, in the healthcare, you know, health systems and health services sector. We're also seeing that in, in the government. And you've, as you've probably been tracking, there's been some recent announcements around telemedicine and, and some of these new kinds of uh, interventions coming to market. Um, and so that's, so that's fantastic, right? Now, the, the next set of challenges that I think um, we have to think about and, and things that we think about as a company, well, great. So a lot of that clinical care has moved to um, a digital uh, interface, right? So maybe it's video, maybe it's your smartphone, maybe it's texting in some cases, but the resource constraints are still the same we still have only a certain number of medical professionals, right? And so how do you then upskill and, and leverage those professionals more effectively, right? So that's where the monitoring uh, combined with AI machine learning come together and can really impact things, right? So, um, and again, this is a bit of a crazy example. It's not something we're doing actively at Longo, but like, why isn't there, uh, you know, AI doctor button in Zoom, right? And, uh, and so like, we've done a lot with, uh, natural language processing in our society, and, and you know, I mean, you've some of, seen some of the examples where uh, of that in our in our coaching work. And so, you know, how far are we from saying, hey, you know, a lot of the initial assessments need to happen on these digital platforms by algorithms or algorithms working in interactions with humans, with medical doctors, as appropriate. So, how do we create a leverage for that, right? So, as we think of that remote monitoring trajectory, an area that we are, um, you know, looking at very proactively is you know, we have a, a, a very large member base, like the largest member base in the digital health uh, sort of series of companies were, is because of that. And so we, what that means is we have a very large set of sensors out in the real world collecting real world data. 
we also have uh, obviously really, uh, you know, and this is, this is coming up extensively in the industry, but there's some good risk models that people have where from the clinical side where people are saying, hey, here are some of the factors that we know are higher risk, not chronic conditions, tend to be one of the highest risk factors for people who, you know, in, in the COVID world. Um, and then we can also combine that as our society gets better at testing, at surveillance, at other approaches, we can bring in those external insights into our model. So this allows us to do dynamic risk modeling. And so it's really start to understand who in our broader society, who in our member base may be at the highest risk. And as we, as we do that, we can then work closely with our healthcare partners, with uh, you know, the members themselves in making sure that they're adequately supported, making sure there's high levels of support for them. So I think that's been a really interesting pathway for us to explore. Another big pathway for us to explore has been um, you know, a lot of people who are managing their, their chronic conditions on Luongo are also experiencing behavioral health needs at the same time, right? I mean, all of us are going through periods of stress and especially, you know, people with kids, people who are in, uh, in, in certain social situations have, have it even harder than others, right? People who may be affected economically because their jobs may have it harder than others. And so we've seen those, a lot of those people come to Luongo for help on the behavioral health side. So while our core engagement has gone up by uh, 10% or so, I think the number of people coming into Livongo and saying, hey, I'm stressed out to you know, different product features that we have has actually gone up 100%. And, and because we have this trusted relationship with our member base, they're coming to us for help. And they're also getting a lot of the help from us. So we've seen a pretty big you know, growth in, uh, in, in, for example, in our coaching this year. And now a lot of that is also because of growth in our member base and things like that. But, um, you know, we're seeing people coming to us for help. We're seeing them get that support from Luongo. And, you know, we've announced some uh, major behavioral health uh, relationships in the last three months, and, and including, you know, a recent announcement we had to Kaiser Permanente. And so, um, so I think that's really accelerated. So the technology have accelerated. Um, the way we deliver care has to evolve. Um, certainly the stratification, understanding members better is going to play an important role. Uh, you know, behavioral health is playing an important role in this transition. And we're seeing that we're seeing members come to us to support. We're seeing members get that support from us. Um, so those have been some of the, the short-term changes we've seen in the last six weeks. Um, the behavioral health piece that you mentioned is super relevant. I think it's not only relevant for members, of course, but this the crisis is something impacting everybody. Many leaders are facing decisions that they've never had to make before in their careers. What has it been like to lead the company, lead part of the business during COVID for you? Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's that saying, right, which is, uh, you see which companies are great companies when they are these sorts of unprecedented times in our society, right? And so certain companies obviously have struggled. I think you really see the uh, the, the metal and, and sort of the testament of the DNA and the culture and, and the leadership of the company in these times. And I think like that's been a focus for us. And, you know, I think our executive team, our leadership teams, our different, different business units have come together really well in, in this period. Um, and so a few things that, you know, I personally think are really important uh, for those of us who are managing teams uh, and, and supporting people and, and as leaders to embody and, and it's really key uh, for us to sort of focus on. So one is, um, you know, there, I think focus and prioritization becomes even more important in this situation, right? So, I mean, we're a high growth company. 
uh, we're, you know, we're growing pretty fast. And in that situation, having really good focus where people who come to work Monday morning, you know, they may be working at 70% capacity because they're also doing daycare, right? And their kids are home or they may have other constraints. Maybe they're looking after a family member who's not staying with them. And so in those situations, like knowing what's important, what's high priority, what's focused, what do we have to absolutely get done becomes really important, right? So I think like focus and, and you know, uh, good operations, operational focus is, is really important. Um, it's also really important for us to, to communicate effectively and over communicate. Um, and so, you know, this means that sometimes you, you want to do creative brainstorms, things like that, but maybe they have to go to a written format. Maybe it's worth writing down, you know, like here's what I think is, is the proposal and doing that extra bit of work, uh, creating opportunities where people have check-ins for teams. I mean, something I've done with my team is just have office hours a couple of times a week where it's just open time, you know, and it's, it's trying to replicate the, we walk down a hallway and, and have that interaction, but now we're moving that to a digital format. And so creating some space for that, creating opportunities for that. Um, I think it's really important to be, um, to encourage people to take time for themselves. Um, because, you know, it, you know it's, uh, there's so much happening. And if you're not, and this goes back to the mental health uh, and stress management perspective, which is it's important for, even for managers on my team to kind of make sure they've protected enough time for themselves, right? It might be, you know, I've got to teach my kids every day or I've got to go do a grocery run, I've got these things. And, you know, that's going to limit how much time I actually have to do the things that I've committed to do. And so let's scope that work down. Let's make sure you have enough allocation. You know, this is uh, a marathon, right? It's not a couple of weeks, but now a week five, week six, depending on which part of the country we're talking about. Um, and the, the bounce back of our economy is going to be steady and gradual. It's not going to go back overnight, right? We're going to stage that based on everything we've seen so far in the absence of a vaccine. And, and so, which means that I think giving ourselves, um, you know, that space and, and protecting, you know, protecting our sort of, um, mental state and making sure we take enough time out for ourselves for things that, uh, you know, are rewarding for us, things that are fulfilling. It could be exercise for someone. It could be cooking. Uh, it could be something that you can do in this period is important. Um, another piece of advice I kind of, uh, you know, give to my teams is making sure we, um, you know, we are self-aware about how much we're leading online and, and so on. Like it's really easy to get drowned in social media in this time and you know uh and and you know you kind of have to have uh, an objective view you have to have uh uh you know a very focused view on what you need to spend time on what we need to spend time on and so i think it's easy to kind of lose that and like you know just draw yourself in social media and that sort of that shapes your perspective and and yeah look it's it's a sad time for for many people but we also have a responsibility to to continue on to our members, to our clients. And so I think it was really important. So those are some practical tips for anybody who's managing a team. I mean, obviously empathy and compassion, there's no, you know, this is a time where you really have to really make sure people on your team feel supported and so spend that extra time talking to them, do an extra one-on-one. -on -one. If you were doing it, you know, maybe once every two weeks, maybe not do it every week, just to make sure that people are okay, right? If they need help with anything, just ask them. Um, and then you see you see people reacting in different ways. Like you see some people, you know, who are, um, you know, who are affected by this, and then you some people who sort of, you know, they're just really, um, uh, like they, they they're sort of even more energized, right? Because I, I, like I see that even in my team, there's some people who are just like hungry for more. They're just really passionate for more. They see this as a time where, you know, um, they can have an even bigger impact. And so I think meeting people where they are 
and, and supporting them in the way that they need help is, is important and the way that they need encouragement is important. And I think the, 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 the final point and I think the most important point here is there's never been a more important time to be in healthcare, right? In digital healthcare. And, and so the role that these technologies can play in shaping the future of our society uh, like there hasn't been a more important time, you know, if you, if you sort of step away within the last decade or so. And so, uh, you know, I feel very fortunate and I know our team feels very passionate and very fortunate that we're able to contribute and we're able to play an important role at this time. So I think that's been uh, very energizing, uh, you know, the, the level of, you know, the way people are working. I mean, we've had obviously like other companies too, we've had an internal COVID task force and things and, you know, people are taking things. They were very ambitious projects. It could have been, weeks or months and kind of, you know, collapsing them and solving problems where they know that it can have an impact for our members. Uh, and that kind of energy, that kind of passion, the work we did to roll out behavioral health to our entire member base in a short amount of time, the work we've done to roll out other initiatives. Uh, we just had an announcement where the FDA uh, now allows the use of Livongo in inpatient settings, uh, which are all things happening very, very fast um, because people are passionate, because they're like, hey, this is a chance where we can have an impact. We can potentially help people who might be at risk or even save lives. Uh, you know, I think that's really, really energizing. And, and so that's really the, the most important driving force in this time, I think. For that I can see how it's, it's a double-edged sword or maybe more than double-edged where it's a time where people need to practice self-care as an employee, but then the mission of the company is so connected to what's actually going on in the rest of the world that um, it's like a constant, I could imagine a, you're pushing forward, you're doing things faster than ever, but also needing to take the time to recharge. And it's, it's awesome that you're so, you know, it's so front of mind for you. Um, I'm sure your team uh, and the rest of the company really appreciates that. Uh, one of the things we talked about at the beginning of this conversation uh, before the episode kicked off was just hiring at Lavongo right now. You mentioned that you're doing a lot of remote interviewing, that you're hiring like crazy. Can you talk about the types of opportunities uh, for some of our audience members who are listening, who might be actively recruiting, what types of roles are available? Yeah, so Livongo, um, you know, we're growing pretty aggressively this year, uh, and we continue to grow through the next uh, six months, even though as we, as we come out of this uh, pandemic. Um, you know, for us, we have positions across the board, and so if you go to Livongo uh, careers page, uh, you know, we have obviously positions in uh, business development and commercial and, and sales and marketing. Uh, in product management, in data science, and engineering. So across the board, we're, we're hiring for a variety of positions. Uh, we're also looking to bring in, particularly on uh, some of the teams that I work closely with, uh, roles in, in data science and analytics, a few manager positions in those areas as well. Um, and so some, some fantastic opportunities across the board, uh, you know, that, that's playing an important role in the current climate. And so I think, you know, we feel very confident about our prospects as a company and, and just the, you know, the momentum that we have in the market. So we're excited about that. And so, uh, and then I think from a personal level, you know, I, you know, I think having a chance to work in digital health and uh, applied health signals and, and really shape this industry at this uh, very crucial juncture. I think we look back at this era and sort of say like, hey, that was transformative for this entire industry. Uh, you know, I think that's a once in a career opportunity sometimes about being in the right company at the right time. And so, uh, you know, certainly looking for people who want to be part of that mission, who want to help uh, shape what the next next chapter looks like for this industry. Absolutely. And and on well, at the beginning of our conversation, I know I, I promised I'd get back to this uh, topic of joining a startup 
that's really early versus joining something closer to IPO. Any advice that you would have for candidates or audience members who are trying to figure out what the right stage of company is for them? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's a great question. So, um, you know, I have a personal sort of rubric that I use. Um, and so I have uh, a few hypotheses about the future of our world. And, and so when I think of, you know, there's like where I believe the world is going to go. And then a lot of my decisions are shaped by that in my career. Uh, you know, one of my hypotheses is that, um, you know, healthcare is going to a fundamental shift where we as consumers are shaping uh, how we want to consume healthcare or health in general and wellness in general. And so, uh, you know, so what I mean by that is in the old days, you, I mean, even today for a lot of healthcare, we'd sort of sit in the doctor's office, we're sitting in the waiting room, but the future is we're going to pick healthcare experiences that are, are, that are really good experiences for us. We're going to, you know, pick things that are at our, that are convenient, that are on our terms. And I think that's a shift, you know, so if you draw the parallels between, uh, you know, my work at Ginger IO, my work at Lubongo, uh, you know, companies when I advise or invest as, as an advisor, you know, you know, as, as an angel, like it's, there's a common thread there, which is it's usually that pattern of, uh, of, of, of companies, right? Which is that consumers, uh, the consumer product experience really matters, right? Um, a second hypothesis I have is we're just scratching the surface when it comes to the role that machine learning and um, AI are going to have on this sector, right? And so I think, a lot of companies are thinking about it. A few companies have the uh, mindset and the DNA and the culture to be able to bring it to market. Uh, so I think as, as someone who's looking at new opportunities, uh, you know, I think that's a, an interesting sort of comparison point is how much of this is real, how much of this feels like they're, you know, they're going to be uh, doing for this industry what Amazon or Google or Facebook did for other industries. Um, I think the choice between startup and um, in large company, uh, you know, frankly, I think there's no wrong choice. Uh, you know, if you, if you, again, if you abstract away the current career decision and think of it as, you know, for, if you have another 20, 30 years in your career, uh, depending on where you are in life, you know, that in every year, every four years is uh, a shot on goal. You know, there's a, a number of shots on goal, right? And so, you know, it's okay to try something. It's okay to take chances. It's okay to learn. Um, and, you know, in three years and four years, go do something different. And frankly, we all need to evolve every few years. Otherwise, you know, I think none of us want to stay in the same job, the same career for forever. Uh, and so I think that evolution is good. So I don't think there's a wrong answer. Uh, I think it's a question of what's right right now. Uh, what's a good fit for me right now uh, is part of the decision. Um, and then on the startup, I mean, I, you know, I think, yeah, the economy is going through uh, a rough period, but... Um, these are also the point at which a lot of great companies are started. And, uh, you know, I think this is, you know, when I started my last company, it was, uh, I believe it was 2010 and we were, you know, still recovering from the aftermath of 2008. And, uh, and my wife jokes about it because, you know, I was just wrapping up grad school and, uh, you know, it was like everybody else was going, getting their, their job at, you know, some large tech company or, or investment bank. And I was like, well, I'm just going to do a startup. <laughs> and uh, my first seed check was, uh, this is, it tells you what it did to me, but my first, you know, pre-seed check was $40,000. Wow. <laughs> and, and today I see companies and they're like, yeah, I have a pre-seed of $4 million. Um, and so I think like that's, that's shifted, you know, I think our, our perception of what it needs to start off with. But I think, look, if you have a great idea, if you believe in yourself, if you have to you have that vision, 
um, and you know you can kind of apply yourself. Like there's never a bad time to start a company. If anything, now's the time where you might see less competition. You might see a lot of you know uh, where investor capital is moving very freely. Maybe it, it becomes more constrained as the public markets kind of go up and down and, and sort of you know deal with the fact that. 20 odd million people are, have just hit the you know, employment, unemployment bucket, right? And so there's certainly going to be some consequences of that, I imagine. So, um, so yeah, there's been a bad time. I think um, but if you're starting a company, having a good hypothesis about what, you know, what is the, the core reason this company is going to be successful, what do you believe needs to exist in the world that doesn't exist is important. Um, and I think, you know, part of my other learning here, and this is more so for me coming as a technologist, is, is really thinking about, how do the business model work? How do the business models work in healthcare? I think that's that's really important because healthcare, um, in general, you know, is uh, is more obscure when it comes to understanding the role that different entities play and, and the different organizations play and their business incentives. Uh, and I feel like I've learned a lot um, working with some incredible people and, and from my past experiences. And so I think you know uh, that may not be the case in other industries, but I think uh, I think sort of having some awareness towards that and keeping that is if you're starting a company in this time, sort of keeping you know, an eye on that and saying, hey, what do I need to build a successful business here if I'm hitting this kind of revenue milestone in 24 months or, or whatever, you know, who are going to be my client mix? You know, what's, what are they going through right now? Are they affected by this in a way that they're not going to be able to make decisions or, or are they investing in other things? I think that's obviously some part of the due diligence of starting a company at this time. Awesome. Makes sense. And thank you for uh, expanding on that. Um, any final words of advice for our listeners? Yeah, no, um, I think we covered a lot of advice. <laughs> we did. <laughs> I, I'm, my hope, my you know, only thing I wish this is a two-way conversation because uh, every time you know I talk to uh, folks who are who are in this sort of position, I feel like I learn a lot from those discussions, and there's a lot of interesting Ooh. ideas and a lot of interesting perspectives. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, this is a one-way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just given given the, the modality, but um, yeah, no parting advice. I think we covered. Um, you know, I think we've. I think people imagine. You know, most people listening to this, this podcast, this program, are probably you know very passionate, extremely talented, looking for where they can have an impact. Uh, you know, I think there's uh, our society today needs people like that to come in and and build and start businesses or join companies that are going to make the world a better place. And healthcare is a great place to do that. And the other place I feel similarly about is climate change. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. You know, like, I mean, there are some fundamental human problems. Uh, education is another one. There's some fundamental human problems where, uh, you, know, you know, a few smart, motivated, driven people can, can have an outsized impact. And so, you know, I think as you think of those, uh, you know, you can still solve the same technical problems and the same business problems, but, but there's potential that's, that's even bigger than just the technology of the business that's there in those industries. So, Definitely. Well, thank you so much. It's great to have you join us. Yeah, thank you so much.